possessing Med Device Unleashed Podcast. Your next level source for all things sales and device. Now, here's your host, Jamie Tipton. Jamie Tipton. Episode number eight, Med Device Unleashed. And boy, we have a doozy for you here today. We have Dr. Jack Schaefer on the podcast today. Let me tell you about Dr. Schaefer. He served as a behavioral analyst assigned to the FBI's National Security Behavioral Analysis Program. He's an associate professor at Western Illinois University. He owns his own consulting company, and he's written multiple books, one of which we talk in a lot of detail about today, and one that I actually read recently called The Like Switch, an ex-FBI agent's guide to influencing, attracting, and winning people over. Dr. Schaefer's a great guy. He was a phenomenal guest, tons of wisdom, super intelligent. And just we cover a lot of bases here, and it's super interesting. So buckle up, and without further ado, Dr. Jack Schaefer. Med Device Unleashed, we have Dr. John Schaefer here with us, and he's the author of a book that I actually recently read over July 4th weekend, among many things. He's an author, owns a consulting company. I mean, the list goes on, but I was fortunate enough to have been recommended his book, The Like Switch, an ex-FBI's agent's guide to influencing, attracting, and winning people over. And honestly, right away, and I was telling Dr. Schaefer when we were in the green room just a few minutes ago, I was telling my girlfriend, I have to have him on the show because I just, everything he said in the book, I was kind of relating back to sales and in particular medical device sales and just how we interact with our offices and our physicians. And I'm excited that he was able to come on, spend some time with us. And I think the listeners buckle up because you guys are going to get a ton out of this. Dr. Schaefer, thanks for coming on, man. You're welcome. Glad to be here. Awesome. Let's, let's go ahead and swan dive right into this thing. So Dr. Schaefer, just kind of give the audience an idea about, you know, kind of your background, what you're doing now, and a little bit about how you came to write the phenomenal book, The Like Switch. Well, I was in in the FBI for 20 years, and I spent the last seven years of my career as a behavioral analyst, and I worked counterintelligence. In other words, I, I was charged with catching spies that come from foreign countries to the United States. And as part of that, My job was to identify ways that we could get them to cooperate with us. If we catch them, get them to cooperate with us and then in turn spy for us. And we call that a double agent. So we turn that person against their country and and then they work for us. And as you can realize that it takes a lot of psychology and persuasion to get these people to cooperate with us. So we developed a number of techniques through the intelligence gathering process. And we were able to develop these techniques that help us quickly befriend people and help us influence people and help us get them to do what we want them to do willingly, not forcibly. And I began thinking about the techniques we use in the job are the same techniques we use as human beings trying to communicate with one another. So basically what I did is I converted those techniques that I learned in the intelligence world to the people in the normal world. And you can use it for business and dating and personal relationships. Dr. Schaefer, I got another question for you. Ex-FBI agent, behavioral analyst. I mean, okay, so do you have, do you have any daughters? Because yes, I, would I feel, do. Okay. Wow. Because I would feel bad for the boyfriends coming through there. I don't know how old they are, you know. If they well, my it. daughter's married. And when she was single, I used to tell her boyfriends, you know, I don't feel sorry for her. I feel sorry for them because she's learned the techniques. Exactly. And they're the ones that are the the target of the uh, scrutiny. Oh yeah, they're in some trouble. I mean, yeah. you can't get you're not going to get anything by her. 
That's a fact. Yeah, she works for Google, and she's been there for about five or ten years. Not a bad place to be. Speaking of Google, though, I, it's funny because I had, I had my notes that you just mentioned Google. How do you think, and I thought this was awesome, that you kind of released this book. When I actually did not see when you released the like switch. When did you publish that? It was January 2015. Okay, January 2015. So I'm thinking, look, 2015 to 2020, we're looking at a very digital age. And there's a ton for people that, I mean, are a little bit younger than me even. But this is valuable for anybody, right? But in a digital age, man, I think the light switch and being able to influence, you know, attract and win people over and kind of understand how to communicate with people face to face, human to human. Do you think the digital age has kind of not made this book less valuable, but increased the value? Because I think it's increased. Actually, it has increased the value of the book because as a professor at Western Illinois University, I uh, often try to engage the students and they have a difficult time talking face to face. In fact, I, I bring them up, in, a couple of them up in front of class, and I have them sit down face to face and say, start a conversation and maintain the conversation for five minutes. Very difficult for them to do. But then I put the chairs back to back and say, start texting one another, and they don't have any problems with that. Oh, I bet not. So face to face communication, especially in the field that I'm in in law enforcement, is critical for these new law enforcement officers to know how to communicate with people face to face. And that's an emphasis in our interviewing classes. Honestly, that is incredible that you can put somebody face to face and they can't hold a five minute. It doesn't shock me, but they can't hold a five minute conversation. That's scary. That's scary stuff. It is scary stuff. But these techniques, you know, what's good about these techniques is these are the things that normal human beings do when they try to make friends, try to maintain, initiate relationships and maintain relationships and even repair relationships. So these are things that people do naturally. The book just points out, just, I guess, makes them aware, makes people aware that they're using these techniques that are normal. And then once you figure out what the techniques are, then you can intentionally use them to make friends. No, Dr. Schaefer, I agree with you 100%. And just to kind of bring you into the space that we're in here at MedDevice Unleashed. So medical device sales, obviously it's a sales sales industry. And within the sales industry, like really any sales industry, it's big time relationship building. You need to be able to build relationships, solid relationships, loyal relationships, and have those relationships that normally blossom into friendships, both on a personal and also on a business level, right? So you got to be able to toe a lot of different lines in this industry. And when I was reading the book, I just took a ton of notes. I mean, I probably have four or five pages straight, big, loosely pages of notes. And I was going to ask you, one of the things that really intrigued me was the internal external elicitation technique. Yeah, that's an elicitation technique that's very powerful because people often don't want to reveal what they're thinking, especially in today's politically correct world that has heightened sensitivities towards certain topics. So it's difficult to get people to provide their opinion. So what you want to do is if you ask somebody a direct question, they're going to go shields up and they're going to say, why does he want the information? Is he going to use it against me? Is this information going to hurt me? And so they have a tendency not to tell you the truth, but tell you what you want to hear. But a way to get these people to tell you what they're thinking is what we call the internal external foci. In other words, I'm going to tell you a story about a third person. People are very willing to talk about something or somebody that's not them or has nothing to do with them. So, for example, I'll say a friend of mine experienced this 
And then you ask them, boy, that's interesting. What's your take on it? And then they then will go to their inside or their heart and tell their true feelings about a third person. And uh, the example I like to use is if you ask a uh, person of interest, what do you think about cheating if you're considering marriage? And you ask, especially a a guy, what do you think about cheating? He's going to say, of course not, I wouldn't cheat because he's going to social norms based on a direct question. But if you say, oh, my friend Mary, her husband was cheating on her. What's your take on that? Then he's more likely to say, well, if she didn't, you know, they didn't take care of each other, they didn't communicate well, then that's what you have to do. That's kind of not what you want to hear. What you want to hear is that's wrong and it's always been wrong and I'd never do it. So there's two ways to answer that question, but it gets to the heart of the matter of your heart, not the social norms that the people are expecting the answer. Yeah, I thought that was extremely interesting and so pertinent for us in this industry because, you know, as we talk to doctors and physicians about whatever product we're selling, right? They may have alliances or allegiances other places or think certain things about our products and they'll tell us what we want to hear. They'll say, hey, no, I'm interested, you know, come back next week. And they'll keep dangling the carrot or text me tomorrow about that. And I think it was really insightful for you to kind of bring up that example. And then also it relates directly back to, hey, here's a way that you can, why don't you tell a story to your physician and use a third party to try and essentially, if I'm hearing you correctly, trying to wiggle the truth out or kind of get an idea about what that physician's really feeling? Yes, you're predisposing that person to tell you the truth before they have a chance to lie. Gotcha. And that's that's very important. You know, another thing with physicians, and it's the same situation with professors, the booksellers would come into my office and say, I have a better book. This is a better book than the one you're using. Well, right off the bat, you're insulting the professor by telling him he's got bad judgment in his book selection. And likewise, with your medical profession, you walk in and tell a doctor, I have a better way, a better instrument, a better platform you can use to test. And you've already insulted them because they have uh, a lot of them are, how do you say, rich in self-ego or self-interest like professors. So a better way to do that would be to approach the doctor or the professor and say, sir, I'd like your advice on something. Right. And then once you ask for their advice, of course, you're kind of flattering them by saying that, yes, of course, you'd come to me for advice because I'm the smart person that could give you good advice. And once they have a chance to give their advice, you're actually getting them to experience the thing you want them to buy. And if they do find it better, then they'll come to their own conclusion. Yes, this is a better one. I think I'll maybe I'll switch. So you don't necessarily have to push it on them. Let them develop their own interest in the topic and make their own decision that it's a better product. Yeah. And so you get them to kind of show their cards a little bit. I, That's exactly. And I've actually done that in a lot of situations as well. So that's exactly for the listeners. That's a prime example of a great way to have a, a very productive conversation with a physician, whether it's one-on-one in their office, at the scrub sink, wherever the situation, lunchroom, selling pharmaceuticals. I mean, that works for anything. Also, I wanted to ask, one of the things, you know, we go out, we entertain these physicians, you know, we go to dinners and during the dinners, we're talking about educational things, right? And I think it's difficult to gauge interest. And one thing that your book does a great job of, among many things, is talks about body language, Dr. Schaefer. And so can you talk to us a little bit about if I'm in a dinner meeting with a physician one-on-one, what are some body language things, some obvious things that I can look for that maybe I don't know if they're, I can be able to tell if they're interested or not interested in what I'm saying? 
There's a number of things that you can judge somebody's interest on. And number one is that people will smile if they like what they're hearing. People will tilt their head to one side or the other if they like what they're hearing. People will lean in forward towards you because people have a tendency to lean toward the things that they like and the people they like. And those are all friend signals. And I use those in the classroom when I'm teaching. I look at the students, if they're leaning forward and their heads are tilted and they're nodding and they're smiling, that gives me a good indication they're paying attention. Now, some of the other things we can look for are more subtle. If you're in the middle of giving your pitch and you're going through a number of highlights that you want to kind of spotlight on your on whatever you're selling, your product, your service, watch the person's lips. There's something called pursed lips. If you purse your lips, and that's just a slight movement of your lips in the forward direction, just a slight, ever so slightly, that's called pursing of the lips. When somebody purses their lips, that means they've already formed in their mind a negative opinion about what you've just said. So if you get through your product and you've you've outlined all the specifics of your product that you want to highlight and you get to price and all of a sudden the physician purses his lips or her lips, that means price is the problem. And what you want to do now, there's something called the psychological principle of consistency. What you want to do is get that person to change their mind before they have a chance to articulate their negative opinion. Because once people articulate a negative opinion, they have a very difficult time changing their mind, even in the face of overwhelming evidence, because they want to be consistent with what they've said. So if you get to the point, say the specs are a little bit off, they're a little narrower than the doctor's looking for. And when you mention the specs, he may purse his lips, but he may not purse his lips with the price. So what you have to do is worry about the specs of the product, or maybe the logistics, the delivery of the product. So you can tell when people are presenting obstacles for your sale by looking at their pursed lips. The other thing they can do with their lips is a slight biting of the lip. That means that they have something to say, but they're a little afraid to say it. I use that in class quite a bit when I I lecture and I come across the point and I see a student lightly biting their lips. I often approach them and say, hey, you have something to say. And they'll say, well, yeah, I do. How did you know that? I don't tell them how I knew it. I just tell them that I just had a feeling they had something to say. And likewise with the lip purse, if I say something that they don't agree with, I look at the lips and then I'll say, ah, you disagree with what I just said. And they go like, how did you know that? Well, because you've been signaling with your lips that. The other one is the compressed lips. When their lips are totally compressed, that means they really have a disagreement with what you're saying. And they compress their lips so they don't open their mouth and say what their disagreement is. So you can tell a lot about the body language, whether somebody's paying attention to you. And almost you can almost read their mind by looking at their lips. So the lips speak louder than the words they speak. I mean, literally. So I'm, my next physician dinner, I'm just going to be staring at the lips. <laughs> the whole thing's going to be lip-based. Well, you can't. You have to take the whole yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm messing Yeah, you got to take the whole person. You just can't be, you can't be honing on the lips, but. And that's the one thing I like to caution people on. No one signal tells you the whole story. You have to look for a cluster of signals. So in the example with the lips, if somebody purses their lips and they back away from you, which means they're leaning away from you, or maybe if they cross their arms, which is a blocking mechanism. So if they purse their lips, lean backwards and fold their arms, then you have a cluster of negative indicators that you should probably, you know, pay attention to. 
Yeah. So if it's somebody, I knew the crossing the arms, that's kind of a universal one. So right. when I'm talking to a physician, let's just say at the scrub sink, which happens often in this industry, right? If I'm standing up next to him or her, I should be, how should I face body language wise? You know, arms obviously down by my side or I'm just trying to kind of paint a picture for the listeners. Here's what you want to do. When you approach the physician, there's three friend signals that are very powerful and they're universal. When you approach a person and a person's approaching you, you send off a friend signal and all that friend signals, several friend signals, and all they do is tell that other person that we're not a threat. And the other person signals back to us saying, we're not a threat. One of these long distance signals is an eyebrow flash. So as you approach somebody, you want to eyebrow flash them. They will eyebrow flash you back, indicating that they're not a threat. This is almost subconscious. And I like it when I tell people about this and, and then they report later, they say, you know, I didn't notice that there was a lot of eyebrow flashing going on until you mentioned it. And one of the key things that, or one of the primary examples is, if you see somebody in the morning for the first time, you say, hey, how you doing? They say, hey, how you doing back? You see that person for a second time, you don't have to say anything to that person. Typically, what you'll do is eyebrow flash one another. In other words, you're signaling, I'm not a threat. And guys will jut their chin out in many instances. They'll just do a chin jut. And that's the same thing as an eyebrow flash that says, I'm not a threat. When we see that friend signal, then our brain says, aha, this person is not a threat. The second thing you want to do is you want to tilt your head to the left or to the right slightly. And what that does is signals that you're trusting that other person because when you tilt your head, you're exposing your carotid artery. When you expose your carotid artery, you're telling that person, I'm exposing a very vulnerable part of my body and I trust you're not going to do me any harm. For people who have dogs, it's interesting Dogs, when you get home, will typically sit and they'll tilt their head one way or the other, or they'll flip over and expose their stomach looking for a belly rub. What they're saying is, I'm exposing a very vulnerable part of my body because I trust you. And the head tilt means I trust you. So those are, and the smile, of course, is the, the last one. And that's very powerful because what happens physiologically is when we smile, we release endorphins. And if we release endorphins, they make us feel good about ourselves. And therefore, they make us feel good about the other person that we're with. So the first thing you want to do is approach and display those three friend signals. And then you'd like to be face to face with that person versus shoulder to shoulder because you want to get the full view of the body language. If that's not possible, try to get some kind of the best angle you can on that person so you can start reading the body language. I'm telling you, that carotid artery time out because that was one of my favorite parts of the book when you were like, because it makes total sense. And half of this stuff, you know, you're, you're reading this book and you're like, wait, I got to start looking for this. And so I actually, I did the eyebrow flashing for anybody who's listening. That's legit. It's all legit. But the eyebrow that's, this stuff happens every single time you interact with somebody. I promise you, I look for it now quite a bit. So, I mean, and the chin juts, everything made sense. The credit artery, was a really fun part of the book. I really thought that was extremely interesting. I actually told a couple of people about that just because it makes total sense. It's just kind of human nature, right? Right. That's exactly what I'm doing with the book. I'm just letting people know what they normally do during relationships. And then once you alert those people to the techniques, then they can intentionally use them to make friends and present themselves as open and friendly and approachable. Right. And people can use this in sales too. I mean, really in any facet, because you look at this and you can say, oh, well, he's Dr. So-and-so's a good buddy of mine. Well, is he? 
because I mean, you walk up and there's no, the body language doesn't say that, you know, so there's, you can kind of tell a lot about where you stand and then the type of rapport you have. And that's another kind of a lead in to my next point, which is I love the portion of the book that talks about testing for rapport. Cause I think that this would be a great thing for any sales representative to have and kind of exercise, you know, every other quarter or how they see fit on their customers. Right. Well, it's easy to test for rapport in several ways. One of the ways we call mirroring. If people are in good rapport, they mirror one another. In other words, if I'm standing there with my arms crossed, everyone in my group that's around me is going to be standing there with their arms crossed if we're all in good rapport. So one of the techniques you can use when you meet people for the first time or subsequently, mirror their body language. So if they're sitting with their legs crossed, you sit with your legs crossed. If they're sitting leaning forward, you sit leaning forward. In other words, you want to mirror their body language because when we mirror body language, that tells our brain that we're in sync with the other person and there's good rapport developing. Now, if you want to test for rapport, at some point during your conversation prior to your sales pitch, because you have to develop rapport before you launch your sales pitch because unless people like you, they're not going to be willing to listen to your sales pitch. So if you want to test for it, what you do is you alter your body language. In other words, you uncross your legs and you lean backwards. If you're in good rapport, then that person will uncross their legs and lean backwards to mirror you, which means you're in good rapport. And then you can go ahead and use your sales pitch. That's beautiful, man. I mean, that's, that's, that people can take a ton away from that. I mean, I'm, I'm personally taking notes right now as well. So, and well, there's several other ones. And another one I like is the coffee cup or the glass or mug or something that you drink liquids out of. And that is if you take your coffee cup and you drink and that person puts their coffee cup between you and them, that forms a barrier between you and them. And when we like one another and good rapport, we don't like barriers. So what should happen if there's good rapport, watch the coffee cup or the glass that they're holding. And if they take a drink and they put it to the right or to the left of them and leave nothing between you to form that barrier, then rapport has been established. So you can use that as a kind of a subtle technique to see if somebody's in good rapport with you or not. I don't even know what to say. I mean, honestly, this is this is the kind of stuff, though, that separates people. I mean, separates reps, because if you can go in there and tell Dr. Schaefer, you may not know it, but these is little slivers of gold that you're passing out right here. I'm glad somebody's found some value in them. And I mean, I think plenty of people found some value. I mean, this stuff is I mean, the coffee cup makes total sense, right? I wouldn't look at a coffee cup twice three weeks ago. I wouldn't have looked at it. And the other thing, a more subtle thing you want to do is you want to buy that coffee for that person or buy the drink for that person because that's called reciprocity. There's a psychological principle of reciprocity. If I give you something, no matter how slight, you feel predisposed psychologically to give me something back. So by you buying that cup of coffee, you establish reciprocity and they are predisposed to give you something back and you hope it's in the form of a sale. Is that, so is that, Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm going out on a limb here. Is that the Ben Franklin effect? No, that's uh, Cialdini, persuasion. Oh, I was close. All right, can we talk about the Ben Franklin effect? Yeah, well, I just want to add one thing about the reciprocity that you can use all the time. And a lot of people, when you do something for another person and they'll say, well, thank you for helping me out. And you say, I don't mention it. Instead of saying, I don't mention it, you should say, I know you do the same for me. Because then that would establish that reciprocity. 
So if you do something for somebody and you might want to ask them to do something in return in the future, just say, I know you do the same for me. And that establishes that reciprocity. So that continues that predisposition. Is that natural? Is So let me ask you this. Is that natural, again, the natural human behavior just to do that? Yeah, I do it all the time. Nobody thinks anything of it. In fact, they're flattered. And that's it. So it's something that simple. What does that trigger in the brain, though? Well, that's reciprocity. We have a strong desire to respond when somebody gives us something. We want to give them something back. It's social etiquette. It's something that we've been trained socially to do. So if somebody gives us a gift, we feel obligated to give them a gift. What would prevent, because we do, I mean, in in the industry, you do lunches and you do, I mean, you do all kinds of stuff for the staff, for the doctor, but that always, I would say most of the time, doesn't really result in them giving you something. What does that tell you about that person? If you continue to to kind of come at the doctor or whoever you're trying to sell to, right? And you're just, nothing's being reciprocated. Well, then there's not a good relationship there. Got it. And you're probably not going to get the sales. They're probably going to talk to you just to get a free dinner or free something. It goes back to as simple as wait staff in restaurants want higher tips. What do they do? They give the restaurant patron a mint along with the bill. That mint is given to me. Therefore, I feel I need to respond back in like kind. And the only way I can do that is with a higher tip. And research has found if you just put thank you on there with a happy face, that predisposes people to give higher tips. It's that reciprocity that the wait staff is playing on. This is literally in my notes too, to talk about the higher for tips, because I really like that portion of it as well. So what else can you do? You, I think one key one is, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's call people by their names, right? Yeah. Pe- yeah oh yeah. People love to hear their names. Yes. So what you want to do is remember their name. And if you can remember something about that person, like if you ask the person, how are you doing? And they happen to say, well, my wife is ill or my kids are sick. The next time you meet them, say hi, name their name and say, by the way, how's your family coming along? Because I was thinking about them the other day. That works well in a cold call situation. I mean, yeah. for the listeners right there, if you do, if you have trouble cold calling, learn these techniques. Learn them because you will you can penetrate through an office or a tough front desk or an office manager or whoever a tough OR manager, materials manager, anybody. You've got to learn these little nuances. Call people by their name. Learn something about them. Even if you don't get through the first time, Dr. Schaefer, right? All right. Just walk away with it, at least with their name, and maybe try and get something out of them. That, that way you go back in two weeks later, you hit it again. The technique you're referring to is something that's called a bridge back. So when I meet somebody for the first time, I'm going to say something or do something that's memorable. Whether I get the response I want or not for my sale, I'm going to make it so that that person will remember who I am. And then what happens when I call them back, I'll say, oh, hi, I'm the guy that, and then you name that memorable event. So you're bridging back to a time when you establish rapport with that person, and you don't have to start rapport building all over again. That same good feeling will follow over the bridge to the future. What about, and this also, you can bridge back, and then you can, let's say the bridge back, you go back to a favor you did for them. Then you bridge back so they feel like they can do, hey, could you do me a favor now? You know, right. and then you ask that person to do something and you bridge back. I mean, correct. Is that kind of the right line of thinking? Yeah. And th- what that does is that triggers that reciprocity response. There you go. You know, it's and, favor, and as long as we're talking about favors, you mentioned the Ben Franklin effect. You know, I can before I'll preface that with this. I can give you a tool right now that 
you can use to get people to like you, and it works 100% of the time without fail. And a lot of people don't realize what it is. And it's very simple. If you want people to like you, you make them feel good about themselves. So the focus of your conversation is always going to be about your sales target. It's always going to be about the person you want to develop rapport with. Everything's about them. And because we're all kind of egotistical and self-centered, we don't like to put the focus on other people. And by doing so, then they become kind of special because they finally met somebody that can recognize that they are the center of attention. So when we ask somebody to do us a favor, that Ben Franklin figured this out long ago. He had an enemy in the Congress and he went up to the enemy because he needed a book and the enemy was the only person that he knew that had a book he wanted. And he said, can you do me a favor and lend me your book? So the guy did that. And then they became friends. And Ben Franklin figured out that if I ask somebody to do a favor, they will like me more, which is counterintuitive because you think I would like you more because you did me a favor. That's not true. The person who does the favor likes the person who asked the favor more. And the reason is this. When we do favors for people, how do we feel? We feel good about ourselves. And that's the golden rule of friendship. If you want to make friends with people, make them feel good about themselves. And that's why the smile is very important, because when we smile at somebody and they smile back, they release a shot of endorphins, and that makes them feel good about themselves. If we make people feel good about themselves, they're going to like us. That is one very powerful way. And how I use it is I'll ask people little favors. I'll sprinkle that throughout my conversation. Can you do me a favor, doctor, and take a look at this to see if, you know, ask your advice. Can you do me a favor and give me your advice on this? Can you do me a favor and look at this? Can you do me a favor and lend me your pencil, your pen? Can you do me a favor and get this for me? Something. You want to pepper that with uh, a favor. I mean, it's so funny because when you do do that, it almost lightens up. It just lightens everything up, in my opinion. Like when you say, can you do me a favor? It's almost like a, the other person lets their guard down a little bit. Yeah, because that makes them feel good about themselves, and then they like you. And here's the irony of the whole thing. If you put the focus all on other people, they're going to like you, and they're going to want to do you favors. They're going to want to do things for you because they like you. That's what's so important about it. People want to help other people. And all you're doing is creating an environment where people feel good about themselves. And that's when you mentioned earlier in the program that you wanted to develop long-term relationships that almost blossom into friendships. And it's because you have developed good rapport over a long period of time. Yeah, it's what you need. You got to have it. I mean, if you don't have rapport and, and you can't relationship build in this business, it's very hard to be successful. It really is. Because essentially, you want to create that reciprocity with you and the physician because then you're both working in tandem as a team and no one's out benefiting the other person. You know, no one's, it's a complete team effort. And it is, Dr. Schaefer, it's never about you and it's never about your product. And I'll continue to say that on this podcast. It's, and I said it on multiple other episodes, you need to be able to differentiate yourself and not come in and just be me, 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 do me a favor before you even build rapport, before they even know who you are, before the eyebrow flash, you're already asking them to do you a favor. And it's never going to happen, right? No, unless some, I'll tell you what, I go in a car dealership or any making a large purchase, I'm not going to buy from a salesman I don't like, period. If I like the person, then I'm the probability goes up, I may do business with that person. But without that rapport, you don't have any business. There's nothing you can do. 
no matter yeah. how good the product is. Yeah, so that's my next thing I was going to ask you, and you just kind of answered it was, what if my product's better than the competitor's, but the competitor has a better relationship, but an inferior product, who wins? Well, this is when you say, sir, I'd like your advice on this product. You don't want to badmouth your competitor's product if they like the product and they work with the product, because then you're kind of insulting them, aren't you? Saying like, you're working with an inferior product, therefore, you're making bad decisions. And people... Don't they like consistency? Remember the psychological principle of consistency? They don't want to change because change causes anxiety. So what you want them to do is ask for their advice, show, hey, here's the specs, and they're going to make up their own mind. Oh, this is a better product. Maybe I'll try this. So whose decision is it? Their decision, not yours. You're not forcing them into a decision, especially if they're introverts. Introverts like to go home. They like to think about things. They like to look things over. They like to weigh things out. They like to go to consumer reports and go to all kinds of reviews. And then the next day, they'll come back and hopefully they'll select your product. So if you're dealing with an introvert, what you want to do is give them all the specifications, give them your sales pitch and say, I want you to go home and think about this. And I know you will be back to purchase my product tomorrow or next week or whenever, because that's what's called an embedded command. You will be back here to buy my product. So what you want to do is give that introvert time to look over everything, make up his mind and find out what's good. And if it is good, they'll make their decision and the embedded command will help them come back to talk to you about purchasing the product if they like it. But if you force an introvert into a quick decision, they're not going to like it and they're not going to like you. But now with extroverts, you can put a little more pressure on them because extroverts are spontaneous. They can make decisions very quickly and they're very, it's more of a trial and error method. So you can put a little bit more pressure on an extrovert than you can an introvert. So it's good to know at least whether somebody's an introvert or extrovert you're dealing with. Those are one of the easiest things to figure out. Extroverts, you can even walk into their office. If their door's always open and their desk faces the door, then they're probably an extrovert. But if their door is closed and their desk faces away from the door into a corner and all their pictures are facing into a corner, then you know that they're probably introverts just by looking at their office. I mean, are you reading off of my notes for this podcast? (laughs) No, you read the book and took notes. I mean, listen, you just ran down through it, Dr. Schaefer. All right. I mean, that's exactly what I wanted to talk about. Because, I mean, it's those up. Do they keep their door open? Do they not? These little details is why I brought you on. Because I, I think the, the little nuances you can look for to try and, and put the puzzle pieces together, you know, and how you can make the sale or how you can move the needle. These are things that you can put together. Are you going to make the sale based on extrovert or introvert? You sure can build a sales plan around that. Oh, yeah. I think. Absolutely. Absolutely you can. It's not going to win you the deal, but it'll at least say, hey, I have an advantage. I know this person's this. I should go down this route. Well, I was just saying, people often ask me, does this stuff work 100% of the time? The answer is, of course not, because we're humans and we can be in one situation today and act a certain way. And two weeks from now, if we're in the same situation, we'll probably act the same way, but not necessarily. But we have a propensity to act that way. But what these tools do is they give you that advantage you need to go from second place to a first place in a sale. And it's just that little advantage that you need that will help increase your sales. Dr. Schaefer, you need to come out with a sales book. Well, I I did. It's called the like switch. Well, I mean, I know, but you need another one. You need a part two like switch. (laughs) 
Which I mean, which by by the way, we're talking about books. Can you tell the Can you tell the listeners a little bit about the book you have coming out? Yeah, the new book coming out on October sixth is the Truth Detector, and what that does is that uses elicitation techniques to get people to tell you the truth before they have a chance to lie. And a lot of you know everybody wants the best out of life, the best deals out of life, the best relationships out of life, the best business deals out of life, and so a lot of the information that we need to get the best deals out of life are secret information that's not easily shared. For example, if I want to get a new car and I want to get the best deal I can possibly get on a new car, I need to know certain information that's not known to the public. And so what I would do is, in fact, I did this. I met a car salesman who was a number one sales rep in a large car dealership. I sat down with him during dinner one night. We happened to meet at a conference and I started asking him questions. If I asked him the direct question, how do I get the best deal on a car? He would chuckle and say, well, you got to negotiate. So he wouldn't tell me based on a direct question. So what I have to do is use elicitation. I'll say, I'll bet there's a lot of hidden deals in the car business and you probably know them all because you're one of the best car salesmen there is in that dealership. And they'll more likely say, well, there are a few things. And then you use something called a word echo, which is elicitation to a few things. And then they will then repeat and they will add certain things. And I, I've come to find out there's holdbacks on uh, cars. So whatever you see on the MSRP and whatever they offer you, you know, a discount on the MSRP, there's a long way to go before you hit the bottom number. There, there's holdbacks, there's advertising fees, there's all kinds of incentives that dealers are given to sell cars. And I learned all these techniques and I passed that information on to my son and he negotiated for a very good deal on a car. And the guy said, you must know something in the car business because you know all the tricks, you know everything. And he just kind of smiled and said, yep. Yeah, you can you can come on to Houston then. I could use the new car. I mean, I need I need some help down here. Well, I've got a good example in the new book that's coming out. The other thing, you can use it personally with parents if you want to know what if your kid's doing drugs or not, you ask them, are you using drugs? Of course, the kid will say, no, I'm not using drugs, dad. But if you ask them, oh, a friend of mine, this is that internal external foci, a friend of mine, his kid went to high school and got caught with marijuana. And if the kid says, that's well, only marijuana, dad, you shouldn't have brought it to school. It's legal. He gives you all those answers. That's kind of not what you want to hear. What you want to hear is say, dad, that's wrong. You shouldn't smoke marijuana. You shouldn't do drugs. So depending right. on how he answers, you get his true feeling about his attitude towards drugs by using that third-party perspective. Okay, so we got, I mean, Dr. Shaver, we got this. This is coming out when? October 6th? October 6th. All right, so we're right up on it. That's next week, right? Right, next week. Next week. All right, it's a big week for you next week. So listeners out there, go grab that one. And then you also have two other titles, right? You get the psychological narrative analysis, uh, oral communications, and then you also have advanced interviewing techniques, proven strategies for law enforcement, military, and security personnel, which that sounds pretty wild. Those books are textbooks, college textbooks, and they're geared for training law enforcement people. Uh, A lot of the techniques can be used, of course, but you're going to have to convert them. I don't do it in the book. You're going to have to see what the technique is and then convert it to a a sales situation. And the psychological narrative analysis is a powerful book to tell whether somebody's lying to you or not, just by listening to the words they say. And that's a powerful book. And it's filled with all kinds of nuances. And I'll tell you, I'll give you a secret that's in that book. And that is something called the well technique. It's very powerful. And you can test somebody's veracity and they won't know that their veracity is being tested. 
For example, if you ask somebody a direct yes or no question and they begin their response with the word well, it means they are about to give you an answer they know you're not expecting. So the example I like to use is I'll tell my son, go into your bedroom and do your homework. So for the next hour, you hear nothing but shenanigans going on in the bedroom, no homework being done. The kid comes out of the bedroom and say, Junior, did you do your homework? And he says, well, so what answer does he think I'm expecting when I ask that question? He's expecting, he knows that I'm expecting the answer. Yes, dad, I did my homework. If he says, well, it means anything but yes. Anything but yes means no. So if you ask your boss, am I getting a raise? Well, that means no, because he knows you're expecting a yes answer and he's going to give you anything but yes, which is no. If you ask somebody, are you going to purchase this product? Are you interested in this product? Well, that means they're not interested in the product and you got a long way to go to get them on board with your sale. Mind blown. So, I mean, powerful technique and you try it with, I try it every day, all day. I always use the technique. It's very powerful. Do you do anything in your classes at, at Western Illinois to like really show people you have any kind of cool, I know that we kind of talked before and you said that you put them up against each other and they can't have five minute conversations with one another. You do anything else cool like that? Yeah, what I did was, in fact, in the truth detector, I demonstrate how you can elicit somebody's social security number. And I told the story in class, how I did it with an intelligence officer. I was teaching intelligence officers how to get information from their counterparts in foreign countries without them knowing or asking direct questions. And the one kid said, I'll never give up my social security number. Well, through the series of elicitation techniques, I was able during that four-hour block of instruction get his social security number from him. And I was explaining that to my students at Western. And they said, Mr. Schaefer, we want to see you demonstrate that. And I said, okay, what do you want? And there was five students who had two classes of, for me at the same semester. And in the next class, they said, we want you to try it in the next class. I said, okay, you name the target. I'm not going to name the target. You name them. They named a kid. And I went through the elicitation techniques, and sure enough, the kid gave up his social security number very easily. And the five students, of course, are laughing. And the poor student goes, who are you guys laughing at? And they say, you just gave him your social security number. He says, no, I didn't. And he thought about it for a minute. He goes, yeah, I guess I did. I didn't know I gave it to him. Whoa. And that's the power of elicitation. With a four-hour block of elicitation with my intelligence officers that I train, we then go to a mall, and within three to five minutes, we can get personal identification number, PIN numbers for their computers, their offices, everything, security systems. Within three to five minutes, we can get a lot of personal information using these elicitation techniques. They're very powerful. We need to use these techniques to sell some medical devices. Yeah, exactly. And if you want to get information from doctors... What you want to do is you want to use these elicitation techniques and they will start revealing things that they wouldn't reveal if you ask them a direct question. And then you can use that information to formulate your sales pitch. So, Dr. Shaver, where can listeners learn all these elicitation techniques? Where can they get them? The truth detector. And the truth detector. Ex-FBI agent's guide for getting anyone to tell the truth. There you go. You heard it from the man. And it's available online. And I don't know, with COVID, I suppose it's going to be in all the bookstores, but primarily audio or online, Amazon or Audible. You heard it right from the author's mouth. You got to get the elicitation techniques. Yeah, it's a great companion book to the like switch because the like switch helps you develop relationships. And what the, the truth detector does is then it expands all those techniques into more effective sales techniques. 
Well, Dr. Schaefer, we're running a little bit short on time, but I want to thank you again for coming on. And I also wanted to give you a chance. Is there anywhere that the listeners can find you? Are you on, on any kind of social media? Or are you on? I know we just gave your book a plug and we can tell them again where they can find all your books. Yeah, I, I'm on, uh, what do they call that, LinkedIn. And my wife handles the Twitter and the Facebook and the social platforms. I stay away from that pretty much. She handles most of that media for me. Okay. And they can find your books on Amazon. You said they can get hard copies on Amazon. Yeah, Amazon. You can go Audible. Apple has, it'll be in the Apple store. It'll be hard copy in Barnes and Noble and other bookstores. Man, I can't thank you enough for coming on. This was awesome. I mean, this was everything I thought it was going to be plus some. The listeners are going to really love it. I know I'm hopefully going to get some positive feedback on this and I'll keep you posted as we go. But well, I'm just glad I was able to provide some value to your listeners. Oh, no doubt about it. I mean, trust me, more than you even know. So plenty to digest here, plenty to chew on. Stay safe, Dr. Schaefer, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank you, sir. 